What's up, Boards Insiders? Welcome to another episode of the Inside the Boards podcast. I'm Doc Osara from the Doc Osara YouTube channel, dedicated to making videos about surviving college and medical school at youtube.com forward slash Doc Osara. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. I'm your host, Elizabeth Beeman, and I have a great microbiology question for you today. So without further ado, let's get started. Our question is, a 14-year-old boy presents to the office with chief complaint of one day of profuse, watery, non-bloody, malodorous diarrhea. He has severe abdominal cramping, vomiting, and fatigue. He reports three days ago he was camping with his family in the mountains and drank water from a stream. Vital signs are within normal limits. His physical examination is only significant for some very mild, dry mucous membranes. Which of the following is most likely to be present in this patient's stool? A. Larvae. B. Multinucleated trophozoites, C. O. Cis on acid fast stain, or D. Ovum. And the correct answer is B. Multinucleated trophozoites. So, what's our diagnosis in a patient who has profuse, malodorous, watery, non bloody diarrhea after they drank from a stream or some other natural body of water? We're going to think about Giardia lamblia. Giardia lamblia exists in two forms, this multinucleated trophozoite we mentioned, and also a cyst form. Both of the cyst and the multinucleated trophozoite can be found in the stool. The cyst is the form that you actually ingest, and it's often present in unfiltered water sources. Entamoeba histolytica is the other protozoan that also exists in a cyst and multinucleated trophozoite form. The difference clinically between Giardia and Entamoeba is that while Giardia is this kite-shaped protozoan with this long flagellated tail, and Giardia works by binding to the small intestine mucosa, preventing absorption of fat, and creating this just very great amount of fatty, sometimes described as greasy stool, which is very malodorous, causes a lot of abdominal bloating and gas and pain. Entamoeba histolytica invades the intestinal mucosa, so it's going to create a bloody diarrhea. Again, pass the same way in a very similar life cycle. Both are protozoans. However, it does have a different clinical picture. Or multinucleated trophozoites would have also been the right answer for a patient infected with entamoeba histolytica. Another protozoan that we can talk about now is cryptosporidium. And cryptosporidium is associated with answer choice C, which was oocysts on acid fasting. What you need to remember is that Cryptosporidium is very prevalent in unfiltered water. It is transmitted through the actual oocysts present in the water. It does cause outbreaks of diarrhea, and often you'll see this in, in little babies. However, an, a competent, an immunocompetent person is usually able to fight off this infection, and it's a self-limited kind of diarrhea. In a patient who has some kind of immunocompromise, like an AIDS patient or someone who's on immunosuppressants because they've received an organ transplant. Maybe a vignette would describe a patient on chemotherapy with a protracted course of diarrhea that's very profuse, very watery, maybe multiple liters a day. You want to be thinking about cryptosporidium because those patients will have a, a much different clinical picture than the average person who gets infected with cryptosporidium. In fact, 5% of people, some studies have shown, are just naturally carrying around cryptosporidium in their intestines without having any symptoms. So the big difference is that cryptosporidium is one that we want to associate with AIDS and immunocompromised people. It is still a serious cause of diarrhea. The other answer choices that we are given, 
actually refer to an infection with a nematode, a, a roundworm. So answer choice A was larvae. I want you to associate larvae with Strongyloides stercoralis. And if you remember what Strongyloides is, it is also called threadworm. It causes an intestinal infection and does cause vomiting. It can cause a lot of epigastric pain. Often will be hard to tell a patient in this vignette from a patient with like a peptic ulcer. But the difference is going to be some exposure to these potential larvae. And the primary mode of transmission is through the skin. The larvae actually will penetrate the skin through soil. So they'll discuss in the vignette a patient who's been walking around barefoot, maybe in an area where this is uh, more endemic. But really, anyone walking around barefoot in the dirt is potentially could get these threadworms. Ivermectin or bendazoles are used to treat strongyloides. The other nematodes that come through penetrating the skin are Ancelostoma duodenal and Necator americanus. Those are going to be the correct answer for answer choice D, which was ovum, because the difference is that even though Necator americanus and Ancelostoma duodenal, also called hookworms, also penetrate through the skin in order to create their infection, they are going to have ovums present in the stool not the larvae. These patients with hookworms, if you remember the life cycle of the hookworm, it does pass into the lung. It basically goes from foot to the lung and then also intestine to lung if it's ascaris. The patient with hookworm will have the diarrhea, abdominal pain, will see weight loss. Often the hookworms are sucking so much blood from the wall of the intestine that the patient can be presenting with a primarily iron deficiency anemia. So you want to ask about any potential rashes on their feet that they may have had where at the site of where the penetration happened with the larvae, they will often have like a rash. So the historical context that were given for this patient presentation, along with diarrhea and potentially infiltrates on chest x-ray. Also, obviously, we want to remember eosinophilia and we want to think about an iron deficiency anemia. All of these things we could see in a vignette that's describing a patient with a hookworm infection. That's the big difference with hookworms. Additionally, in our discussion of parasites, I do want to mention pinworms or Enterobius vermicularis. Remember, these are the ones we see in little kids with the itchy anal area. The tape test is used to see eggs around the anus. These are transmitted fecally orally, also treated with bendazoles. And then Trichinella spiralis causes another intestinal infection. The larvae enter the bloodstream and actually will insist inside of muscle cells, cause inflammation. Remember, trichinosis is like a clinical picture of a patient who ate some undercooked pork, or pork is the most common, but really any undercooked meat, and then developed fever with vomiting and nausea. If they have periorbital edema, you want to be thinking about this. And most importantly, or most specifically, the myalgias associated with trichinosis. Trichinosis is also treated with bendazoles. I want to make sure that we're covering the worms that we really need to in order to get you up to date for step one. So the other high-yield worms to know are the cestodes or tapeworms. Tineosolium, if you remember, is either going to cause an intestinal tapeworm or we have cystocercosis and neurocystocercosis. Now, if it's going to be an intestinal tapeworm, the way that the patient will 
will have ingested it from a, a larvae, which was insisted in like undercooked pork. And you treat that with praziquantel. Cystocercosis or neurocystocercosis comes after ingestion of the eggs contaminated with human feces. Praziquantel albendazole um, is also the treatment for neurocystocercosis. Diphlobothrium latum will cause a vitamin B12 deficiency because this tapeworm actually eats vitamin B12 in the intestine and leads to a anemia that we would usually see associated with alcoholism or vitamin deficiencies. Specifically, it's going to be a megaloblastic anemia. And diphlobothrium latum is transmitted through ingestion of the larvae from usually fish. So think of latum with the fish. And praziquantel is the treatment for that. Let's just talk about really quickly the visceral infections. So there's some other protozoan. Trypanosoma cruzi causes Chagas disease. Remember, this is called the kissing bug. It's in feces deposited in a, a bite, and it causes megacolon, megaesophagus. Primarily, we're going to see this in a patient that's been in South America. We treat it with benzonidazole or nifertamox. And leishmaniasis or visceral leishmaniasis is caused by Leishmania donovani, causes spiking fevers enlarged spleen, enlarged liver, pancytopenia. Remember that this is transmitted from sand flies, and we treat this with amphotericin B. As far as sexually transmitted infections, we have a trichomonas vaginalis. It causes a, a foul-smelling discharge. Also will be seen as a trophozoite on the wet mount and associated with that term strawberry cervix. Metronidazole is given to the patient, and you also would treat the partner for an infection with trichomonas vaginalis. So those are our big parasites that we wanted to cover for step one. Stay tuned for the next episode, and thanks for listening.